Welcome back to the Redundant Rufus podcast. In today's episode, we're going to be exploring a little bit more of Tolkien's Legendarium, specifically the disaster of the Gladden Fields. If you haven't done so yet, please subscribe and please check out Coag Music on YouTube. They provide the awesome music that you hear in the background. And with that, let's get started. The Gladden Fields, called in Sindarin Loigning Loron, or roughly translated, the Pools of Goldwater. If there was one event out of the entire legendarium that I have read the most about, then it would be the disaster of the Gladden Fields. Now, at first glance, it's a seemingly small event where a small force of Dunedain are defeated and a sealed door perishes. However, conversely, there are other events to this story which produced lasting effects throughout the, the Third Age. We can get into those in a bit. However, I wanted to start with describing the location and history of the Gladden Fields. Now, the only live-action representation of this event came from the prologue in The Fellowship of the Ring. I don't believe it was portrayed very well, but granted, it wasn't the focal point of the movie. They just had to show how the One Ring became lost to time. And I guess having a sealed door struck by two arrows in the back was less gruesome for the big screen than to have arrows in his throat and heart. But I digress. Let's dive into this. The location of the Gladden Fields. So where exactly were they located? It's actually a relatively small point on the map of Middle-earth. If you do have a map handy, then you can find it in the standard Middle-earth map of the Third Age, located just above the center of said map. The river Gladden begins in and branches out to the east from the Hathaiglir or Misty Mountains. The river Gladden eventually intersects to the west of the river Anduin. It is due west of the forest of Mirkwood and northwest of Dol Guldur. It is within sight of the foothills of the Misty Mountains and the eaves of the forest of Mirkwood. A fertile region with many rolling grasslands and marshes make up and surround this location as well as the beautiful golden lilies which grow in abundance, thus contributing to its name. No natural defenses or any other fortifications are made available, which one can rightly assume directly led to the ambush and destruction of Isildur's company by the orcs. The region is located in Wilderland, or Rovanion, and was known by the nearby woodsmen but seldom traversed. Now, get into some of the history of the area. The Gladden Fields, believed to have originally been one of the many stopping points of the elves during the Great Journey. It is the location where Isildur's company was all but destroyed, which we will obviously get into shortly. Some of the store folk, whom Gandalf guessed to be of hobbit kind, were said to have dwelled on or near the Gladden Fields from 1410 until 2460 in the Third Age. The One Ring, being lost for thousands of years, was found by one of the store folk, Deagle, who discovered it after being pulled into the water by a large fish, only to be killed soon after by Smeagol, where it remained with him for centuries. After the Council of Elrond, it was decided to search the land south and east of the Misty Mountains to find any trace of the ringwraiths, who had seemingly been drowned in the Loudwater, or Bruinen. Elrond sent scouts along with Aragorn, Elodan, and Elrohir, and some rangers to find any trace before the Fellowship set out on their quest. Some of these elven scouts passed through the Gladden Fields on their way to Mirkwood. Unknown to the wise of Middle-earth, Saruman had learned of Isildur's end having occurred somewhere in the region of the Gladden Fields. 
He sets a watch of agents in the region, but is dismayed after learning that Sauron's servants from Dol Guldur had already begun scouring the area in search of the One Ring. With this knowledge, Saruman, who had been previously against any attack on Dol Guldur by the White Council, decided to strike Dol Guldur immediately. This attack pushed Sauron from Dol Guldur and provided Saruman the flexibility to search at his leisure in the Gladdened Fields. Now, the next part, let's get into the pre-battle stage. So up to this point, we can see that the Gladden Fields themselves are mentioned sparingly throughout the histories of Middle-earth, with the disaster there appearing even less. Nevertheless, there is still enough historical records which warrants further understanding and telling into the beginning of the journey of the One Ring during the Third Age. The Silmarillion provides the initial account, albeit brief, showing how Isildur was ambushed with his elder son slain and then himself being slain with the One Ring lost. The nature of Middle-earth and the Lord of the Rings gives us some brief mentions, the former providing some level of detail. The most completed version of the event can be found in Unfinished Tales, a whole chapter dedicated to it with helpful interpretive notes provided by Christopher Tolkien. Now, after the defeat of Sauron and his lands wiped clean of his evil, the allies returned to their homes. The numerous hosts of the Sylvan Elves of Orafur, the Noldor of Gilgalad, and the Dúnedain of Arnor have been drastically reduced, despite having the final victory. With the various realms of Middle-earth beginning the slow recovery from the devastating War of the Last Alliance, the realm of Arnor would never recover from its losses during the engagements on Daggerlad within Mordor and the slain among Isildur's company in the Gladdened Fields. Gondor, however, recovered to a strength seemingly comparable or at least reminiscent of Numenor at its height. Anarion, brother of Isildur, had been slain during the siege of Barad-dûr, resulting in his son Meneldil becoming Gondor's new king. After two years of helping Meneldil settle the affairs of the kingdom in Gondor, Isildur departed to take up his high kingship in Anumanas, where his father Elendil once ruled. Isildur, with his three eldest sons and a hand-picked guard of some 200 knights, battle-hardened, grim, and strongest among the host of Arnor, his march was to Rivendell and there to reunite with his family and ask for counsel by Lord Elrond. Prior to the war, Isildur had left his wife and youngest son Valendil in Rivendell, or in Ladris, until he returned with his other sons, Elendor, Aratan, and Kirion. The main host of Arnor had already passed through by way of the Fords of Isen, and from there northward to Anumanas. However, Isildur thought to go this way, but the path would be shorter if he instead traveled northwards from Osgiliath through the Daggerlad and across the vast wilds south of Greenwood, presumably the Brownlands, along the Vales of Anduin. He desired to reach Rivendell in 40 days, if all went well, even while on foot, for these Numenorians, quote, were of great stature and strength and endurance, and their fully equipped soldiers were accustomed to bear heavy armor and weapons. On a side note, it is explained that the men of Numenor esteemed horses and had many uses for them other than for warfare. Even if Isildur ch chose to use horses, few were left after the calamities of the War of the Last Alliance. We can read in Unfinished Tales, however, that this company encountered small horse-like creatures which they tamed to carry some baggage and belongings. The company of Isildur had brought some portion of provisions, as they did not expect to find any house or lodging. We can further read in Unfinished Tales that the company had marched well over 200 leagues, 
for these men were of Numenor and could endure much, traveling up to, but not limited to, 12 leagues a day. The author does note that 8 leagues a day could even be done with ease. But due to winter fast approaching and the light of day becoming less, their march was hastened. Isildur's company had been forced to adjust their course away from the flooded river Anduin and seek the old forest paths of the Greenwood Sylvan Elves. To the east, the towering forest of Greenwood the Great, and to the west, the foothills of the Misty Mountains. The latter was becoming covered with darkening clouds and were heading in the company's direction. However, the Dúnedain were apparently glad in their hearts and did not foresee any threats along their path and were said to have been singing as their march to Rivendell was now three parts completed. Now, to get into the battle, this is the point where I wish there was a live-action representation, because this soon-to-be last stand is both epic in its description, but also tragic in its consequences. Now, it's said that once the sun became covered by the approaching clouds from the Misty Mountains, there were many hideous orc cries that could be heard, and the Dúnedain could see them from afar, issuing from the forest slopes. Now, on a side note, the Silmarillion provides a different start to the battle, in that the orcs invaded Isildur's camp at unawares, for he set no watch or guard, assuming his foes had been defeated. The relation on Unfinished Tales, however, is where my account will stem from most, but what is at least consistent is Isildur did not expect any fight, as again he believed all enemy forces were defeated and any left would not dare assail them while their master was vanquished. Prior to the war, Sauron had sent many orcs to the various passes of the Misty Mountains and surrounding regions to impede any march of the Alliance. However, the hosts passing through were too large to be impeded, and the orcs looked only for smaller companies or those which were smaller in number. It is said that these orcs which began to attack the company were not aware of the war's outcome, that Sauron was defeated and his realm destroyed. For example, they had assumed the retreating army of Thranduil was a result of Sauron's victory. However, they dared not assail those elves as their numbers were still too great, despite the elves' heavy losses. Upon seeing Isildur's small company, the orcs assumed this was also a remnant of the forces of Arnor, retreating back to their lands over the mountains. Thus, they could easily be assailed. The company of Isildur could only guess the number of orcs, for they were many, but immediately reacted to form what is called a Thongile, a shield wall comparable to a Roman Testudo, a Greek Hoplite Phalanx, a Byzantine Fulcum, and a Sildual in Old English. The ground, however, was unfavorable to provide anything more than a defense. If favorable ground was on their side, then a Sildur would have enabled a Deer Knife, or a wedge formation to charge at and disperse the orcs. Nonetheless, this shield wall consisted of, quote, two serried ranks that could be bent back at either end if outflanked, until at need it became a closed ring. We can read in Unfinished Tales the following dialogue between Isildur and his son Elendor. Quote, The vengeance of Sauron lives on, though he may be dead. There is cunning and design here. We have no hope of help. Moria and Lorien are now far behind, and Thranduil four days' march ahead, said Isildur. And we bear burdens of great worth beyond all reckoning, said Elendor. Upon seeing the orcs approach, Isildur called his esquire Otar and said, I give this now into your keeping. These items were the shards of Narsil and its great sheath. Isildur continues, 
Save it from capture by all means that you can find and at all costs, even at the cost of being called a coward who deserted me. Then Otar and a companion fled from the battle towards the mountains to the west. The orcs began their assault by sending forth a shower of arrows, and their tallest and strongest orcs were sent forth to break the line of shields. However, the armor and strength of the men and the size of their weapons and the reach of their swords and spears were too much for this initial assault of the enemy. The men were relatively unshaken and unharmed without any casualties. The men had slain many orcs and their dead piled high in front of them. Nonetheless, with the first assault defeated, the orcs did not retreat far, nor were they dismayed. Isildur immediately began the march of his company with great haste, hoping to find better ground in case of a further assault. The costly repulse of the orcs typically would have prevented any further attack, as was the manner of orcish behavior. However, these orcs were different. Unfinished Tales explains that these orcs were filled with a, quote, fierce and relentless hatred, stiffened and commanded by grim servants Barad-dûr, and though it was unknown to them, the ring, cut from Sauron's black hand two years before, was still laden with Sauron's evil will and called to all his servants for their aid. The orcs' renewed assault included all of their forces, a crescent shape they made until it became an unbroken ring. With that, the orcs began silently moving forward step by step. It is said that once their doom seemed decided, Elendor spoke to Isildur, asking him to use the One Ring to command the orcs to obey him. Isildur replied that he did not have the strength to bend it to his will, and that instead it should be sent to the keepers of the three, or those who possessed the three elven rings. Here, Isildur lets go of his pride, fully realizing the peril of the ring, and that it was not meant for mortal men to wield, even if one of strong will could. Now at once the orcs blew their war horns and charged against this small company of men from all sides. With reckless ferocity they hurled themselves against the Dunedain. Multiple orcs would pile on one soldier and drag them off to be slain. Isildur lost his sons Kirion and Aratan in the beginning of this assault. Seeing the inevitable outcome of their destruction, Elendor counseled his father to depart with the One Ring. Quote, Bring it to the keepers, even at the cost of abandoning your men and me. King's son, said Isildur, I knew that I must do so, but I feared the pain. Nor could I go without your leave. Forgive me, and my pride that has brought you to this doom. It is said Isildur turned west and put the ring on his finger with a great cry of pain. He then became invisible, but the Elendilmir, which was the star-like gem placed on the brow of the king as a token of their royalty and right to the kingship of Arnor, was on his brow, and it could not be hidden, and, quote, it blazed forth red and wrathful as a burning star. Men and orcs gave way in fear, and Isildur, drawing a hood over his head, vanished into the night. Isildur traveled for many hours along the banks of the Anduin, and come nightfall, he shed his armor and weapons, save a short sword at his belt. The crossing of the river proved fruitless, and its current forced Isildur to go north back towards the Gladden Fields. His further attempts led him to almost cross the river until he was tangled in weeds. However, in that moment, he realized that the ring was gone. His feeling of loss was soon overcome with relief that this burden was gone, and for the last time in his life he felt all burdens leave him. He continued to make his way slowly through the vegetation until he could find a sure footing and rose from the water. Here we read, quote, 
There he rose up out of the water, only a mortal man, a small creature lost and abandoned in the wilds of Middle-earth. But to the night-eyed orcs that lurked there on the watch, he loomed up, a monstrous shadow of fear, with a piercing eye like a star. They loosed their poisoned arrows at it and fled. Needlessly, the Sealdor, unarmed, was pierced through the heart and throat, and without a cry he fell back into the river. No trace of his body was ever found by elves or men, and so passed the first victim of the malice of the Masterless Ring. Now to get into the aftermath, some of this battle's account was later surmised and composed by Aragorn Elisar after the War of the Ring. Estelmo was the only survivor from the battle, who was an esquire of Elendor, Isildur's eldest son. He is the one who heard the words of Elendor and Isildur at their parting. We learn that there were certain woodsmen who had become aware of the battle and sent for the elven king Thranduil for aid, even as the woodsmen themselves had gathered force enough to scatter the orcs before the latter began their custom of mutilating the dead. But the rescuers were too late as all but Estelma were dead, and the orcs had lost so many that they did not attempt any further assault for a long time. The armor of Isildur was recovered, and it was assumed that he and the ring had made it to the western shore, as was revealed in the Council of Elrond that the ring was found on the western edge of Anduin. The greatest treachery, however, was performed by Saruman. He had searched the Gladden fields extensively, and had retrieved as was discovered by Elisar and Gimli within a secret closet in Orthanc, the gold chain which hung the one ring from Isildur's neck, and the Elendilmir, which was on Isildur's head. These things were on Isildur's body when he was slain, so presumably they had remained on his bones. But where were his bones? We read, quote, Why then, though an age had passed, were there no traces of his bones? Had Saruman found them and scorned them? burned them with dishonor in one of his furnaces? If that were so, it was a shameful deed, but not his worst. The disaster of the Gladden Field serves as a stark reminder of the dangers of overconfidence and the consequences of underestimating one's adversaries. It underscores the importance of vigilance, preparedness, and strategic planning, even in times of apparent victory. Lastly, it shows clearly the peril of possessing the One Ring, that it has only one master, and the power it feigns to offer the wearer, other than its maker, is both seductive and arrogant. It was pride which caused Isildur to keep the One Ring and not destroy it, as both Círdan and Elrond counseled him to do. Yet in the end, when his doom was made manifest, Isildur repented of his pride and accepted the consequences of his poor judgment. Thank you for listening, and I hope you tune in next week for a special Valentine's Day episode called Hearts of Middle-Earth, Love and Tragedy in Tolkien's Legendarium. Take care.